Well, good morning, Missio Church. My name is Cody Labarth. I am one of the elders here, and it's a joy to be able to, to be here at this location with you all again and continue to, uh, to open God's Word, go through the book of 1 John, and, uh, and see what the Lord has to say for us today. Uh, so, we all have traits that can be attributed to the, the people that we're from, the families that we're from. So, uh, just reading this week, uh, I came across some interesting facts. The, the average height of a man who is from the Netherlands is six foot one, which is quite tall. If you're a redhead, like, like those in my family, uh, you most likely descended from Ireland, Scotland, or Wales. And also, you're less tolerant of the cold, so Syracuse is a great place to live. And you're more likely to get stung by bees, which is just weird. I don't understand that at all. Um, so, you know, when I think about the family I come from, I come from a family of, of occasionally loud, uh, extroverted people. Um, my grandmother visited uh, last, last year uh, in, in our Casanova location. People still talk about whenever she made her visit because she like met everyone. She was so loud you could hear her from the back of the fellowship hall to the other end of the church. Uh, she made the, quite an impression. Um, you know, I, I inherited some of those characteristics. My oldest daughter who's over here uh, holding the pig, she's probably already introduced herself to you this morning and introduced her pig to you. Um, so, so, you know, we've inherited the family traits uh, and that's just how families are. We're, we're like this. We, we tend to act like one another, look like one another uh, for better or for worse. And that's uh, kind of what, what John is going to talk about in the section of the letter that we're going to look at today. Um, so in this section of the letter, he, he's going to, to, to describe the family trait uh, that shows who God's children truly are. So, so to this point in the letter, John has been uh, writing to refute some false teachers who, who were part of the congregations at one point, but had, had departed, left the con congregations, and were, were really preaching a, a false teaching, a false gospel. Um, and, and to... Uh, in order, to, in order to kind of call these, these false teachers out, John, in this letter, he's been using three tests. So we've, we've mentioned these tests. There's a, a moral test, how we, how we act, how we live. There is a, a social test. Uh, do, we, do we love our brother? And, uh, and a doctrinal test. Uh, do we believe what is true? And so John, at this point in the letter, he's already introduced those three tests. And and today he's going to start, he's going to again repeat those tests. John's a little bit of a circular writer, if you haven't picked up on that yet. He's going to, to repeat those tests, but he's going to have uh, some, some different emphases in what we'll look at uh, today. So we're going to be looking in John chapter 2, uh, verses, uh, verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 10. We're going to see that here he, he's again going to apply the, the moral test, the test of of whether or not someone practices righteousness, or said another way, someone obeys the commands of God. And he's going to, again, apply this test to differentiate those who, those who truly know God from those who, who only claim to know him. But in fact, he says, they're deceiving themselves and they are, they are deceiving others. And so this passage is going to make clear that we know who God's children are simply by whether or not they practice righteousness. So this 
This is the family characteristic. This is the trait of all who are God's children. They do not continue in sin, in sin but practice righteousness. So let us read. Let's see how, how John says it. In 2.28, he says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we just come to you and ask by your spirit that, that you would help us. That's what you said your spirit would do. You would help us to understand Give us understanding of your word. Lord, prod us and move us to, to not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word, to apply these things. And we know that only comes from you. And you said that we can do nothing apart from you. So help us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, so starting in verse 28, 228, John He's going to connect this, this moral test of practicing righteousness uh, to what he, what he said in just the, the verses previous, which we looked at last week. So in, in verse 27, he, he mentions abiding in Christ. And here, John is again going to encourage the church to, to abide. And he says he, to abide in the Son and the Father. So he's again using this word abiding in him, meaning to to remain in him, to continue in him. And he says to do this, to abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence. It's one of the, one of the great themes of this letter that John, he wants the churches to be confident in, in what God has done and in who they are. So he's saying abide. And how does, how does the church abide in Christ? Well, John, in his gospel, he, he records the, the very words of Jesus, where Jesus is telling his disciples, he says to them in John 15, abide in me, abide in my love. He says this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide 
in my love. And so John was there when Jesus said these words, and again, he is emphasizing this this connection between abiding in Christ, continuing in him, remaining in him, this connection between those things and obeying his commandments. He's emphasizing the connection between knowing God, between being one of his children and and obeying his commands, or, or said another way, practicing righteousness. This time, he's going to emphasize the need for God's children to, to practice righteousness. And he, he's going to give a, a new motivation, one he hasn't mentioned yet, a motivation for doing so. So that when Christ appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Just, uh, just a few weeks ago, we were looking at, at how John, he tells the believers, he reminds them, we are in the last hour, he says. And what we concluded from that is that we're in the, the final days, the last days that, that Christ is coming again. And we live in the age right that precipitates that, right before that. And he's saying there will, there will only be two responses. He's reminding us of the, this truth that we see throughout the scriptures. There will be two responses to whenever Christ comes again. Some will be, will be ashamed. They will shrink from him because of the judgment that they face because of their their sin, and their continual rebellion against him. But John is saying here, those, those who have remained in Christ, they will have confidence. They will be confident because, because of the gospel, because they have trusted in the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ, and they have shown their profession of faith to be true by, by continuing in righteousness, by, by their faith producing a righteousness in their lives. Because of that, they won't shrink from him at all. John, John's going to take a moment. In a second, he's going to, to explain, in fact, what it will be like whenever God's children do behold Christ. Uh, but for, he's going to take, take an aside for a second before he gets there. Next, he, he's going to, to make clear the test. If it's, not, if it's not clear enough, he repeats it several times in this, this passage. So I think it should, we should have a handle on it by the end. He says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. John's not calling into question whether or not these, these believers know that Christ is righteous as saying if, as if it's a question. He's, he's really implying you know, since, since you know that Christ is righteous, this is the test of those who, who you know have been born of him, that they too practice righteousness. Again, that's, that's the family trait, the sign of being born of him, that what he says here is that they, they will be like him. His righteousness produces a righteousness in his people. And he uses this picture of, of birth to to really describe those who are God's people. They are born of him. And so we, we understand that, that the righteousness of God's people, the righteous acts that they, that they do, it's not produced simply by, by human effort, as if we could do those things in and of ourselves, anything that is pleasing to God or righteous before him. It's produced by by a rebirth. 
the way this, the scriptures describe this is, is a rebirth of the Spirit of God coming into his people, making his people, people who were dead, making them alive, alive to the things of God, alive to his kingdom. It's exactly what, what Jesus says again in, in John's gospel. These things are, you can, you can see the uh, you can see the connection between what John writes in his gospel records for us and what he's writing in this letter. In his gospel, he records when Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we see this throughout the scriptures, that God's spirit causes a renewal in his people such that we go from being those who, who hated God's law, who, who even if we wanted to, couldn't, couldn't live righteously and please him, to being a people who, who now love God's law. And because of his spirit and his people, because of the work of Christ, we can now live righteously. And John he explains these things. And then because of just how amazing these realities are, in, in verse 29, he, he's just going to respond and exclaim just at the wonder of what, what God has done in his son Jesus, what he has done on behalf of his people. He says there, he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. You know, another way to, to say this would be, see what, what type of love or what, what class of love God has given his children. It's, it's a love in a class of its own. There's, there's none like it. There's none greater that God has, has taken a people who were dead to him, who were, who were his enemies and, and rebelled against him. And it ca- now calls them his children. And John says to the church, and so we are. Knowing that that's the case. If we, if we have repented of our sin and trusted in Christ alone, that he has restored us to, to God's image of righteousness, that which we were created for in the beginning. And I think we, we go back to Genesis often uh, whenever we gather on Sundays and just remember what God did in the beginning, that he created man and woman in his image to live righteously before him. They were created to live in righteous relationship with God and in righteous representation of him. And that is what Christ has restored whenever we put our faith in him and the spirit of God comes into us and and we now bear his image again. We inherit the family trait, the righteousness we were created for in the beginning. I would simply say if you've never, never placed your faith in Christ I pray today that these verses would would lead you to do so. To go from being God's enemy to being called his child. So then John, he takes an aside for a moment. He says, "This, this is why the world doesn't know us. Because it did not know him. Referring, referring to Christ. He's saying the world doesn't know God's people. It doesn't know us because because we are now God's children. At one time, we were of the world, and we looked like the world, and we lived like the world, and we valued the things that the world valued. We were enemies of God like the rest of, of humanity who has not accepted Christ. 
But he's saying, but now, again, we're reborn. We're a new creation. We bear the righteousness of God. So the fact that the world doesn't know us, doesn't recognize us, it shouldn't surprise us. It didn't know Christ. So we, we have been reborn. We are no longer the same and are now alien, alien to this world in which we We now live with a a new nature, a nature that longs for and practices righteousness. And then John, he's going to return now to this idea of of when Christ returns. And so, so he says next, he says, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So John is elaborating on this idea of what it will be like whenever Christ returns, that that we will not shrink from him. Those of us who have placed our faith in him and our faith has been been shown to be evident and and true in the the righteous way that we live. He says, for for those, we will not shrink from him, but in fact, we, we will be like him. He's, he's kind of, he's explaining this, this reality that, that those who abide, who abide in Christ and, and, and continue in him, we are, we are God's children now, practicing righteousness in this life. But, but just as we acknowledged a moment ago, we, we do so while, while continuing to, to battle with sin, with temptation, at times falling prey to our, our sinful desires, falling prey to the, the temptations of this world, the schemes of, of our enemy. So, though that is true, we, we are God's children now, but are not yet what we will be. We are growing into that. He says, what we will be has not yet appeared. We, we are still waiting on it. And this is what it will be like, that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. It's such an astounding thought that when, when Christ returns, he will complete the work that he has already begun in his people. And he will make, make us, those of us who know him, like himself. What is that like? You know, in the context of this letter, we would, we, what John is pointing us to is that we will be, we will be morally pure, righteous. We will, there will be no error in what we know and believe that, that, that we will believe the truth that we will have bodies like Christ, physically perfect bodies, that we will be filled with this spirit, never sinning again. And he says this will be so because, because we shall see him as he is. And throughout the, throughout the scriptures, we see this relationship, this connection between beholding the face of God and being found righteous. This really, this culminates as we go through the scriptures and you, you read in the book of Revelation. Again, another, another book that's, that's authored uh, through John. And there he describes in Revelation 22 what, what will happen when, when Christ comes again. He, he just elaborates on this, this very idea. He says, no longer will there, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be, will be in it. And it's referring to the city that, that God's people dwell in. He says his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name 
will be on their foreheads, which, which in that book is, is a picture of being God's people. And so because of, because of all of this, we, we see that the righteousness of Christ, as we've already said, is one received by faith. And it's a faith which is shown to be true because of the practicing of righteousness in this life. And these things, they motivate They motivate us to long for his second coming, to look forward to that day. That's exactly what what John says in the next verses. He, He says that those who have hoped in his second coming and purified themselves as he is pure are those who will be found to be like him in that day. So so the second coming of Christ is meant to motivate those of us who are God's people, it's meant to motivate us for, for righteousness in this life. He says, purifying ourselves as he is pure. It's a, another way of saying practicing righteousness, doing the good works that Paul says the Father has, has already worked beforehand for his people. So the, the second coming is meant to, to motivate us in this day, now, to purify ourselves as he is pure. Again, John is, is restating the test that those who are truly God's children, they, they show evidence of this by, by living purely. And so just as to kind of summarize some of the things we've touched on in these first few verses, the, the sequence of what John is explaining should be clear to us that those who are really God's children are those who have realized their sin, repented of their sin, trusted in Christ have been reborn, reborn into God's image of of righteousness, an image that was marred by sin, but has been restored in God's people, but not completely. And so now, as evidence of our being born again, we practice righteousness in this life, hoping ultimately, looking forward to Christ's return, when we will be made perfect, made to be like him, We will behold his face. As John says, we will be be with him and be like him. So because because all of this is true, John in in the next verses says, can plainly say this, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. It says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So, so John's continued to touch on these ideas, uh, the idea of, of Christ's coming. So he's, he, he begins with the second coming of Christ. Now he refers back to the first coming of Christ. This is why Christ came the first time, to take away sin. We know that he's done that by his life, his death, his resurrection. He has destroyed sin. He says, in him there is no sin. So again, the one who has trusted in him, there's no one who has trusted in him and continues in him who can keep on sinning. It's an idea of continual unrepentant sin he's he's just simply saying this is 
It says lawlessness, and it's, it's out of character with those who are God's children. In fact, it's, it's really an impossibility that those who are God's children could continue in sin. Not that they would ever commit a sin. We've touched on those ideas already in this book, but that they would harden their hearts and continue to ignore the righteousness of God and, and rebel against him. It's not in their nature. It's not the family trait. And really, this should be, I think, a sobering idea to us as we, as we consider the, as we've already mentioned, the reality of sin in our life. You know, just this, this past two weeks, we've you know, seen another, another story come to light of a, a very high, kind of high-profile, well-known Christian leader who, who for many years had been living a double life, professing Christ but living a life of, of sin, continual sin, abusing others. And John has, you know, made it, it's evident in this letter that a profession of faith is, is not always authentic, that that it is possible to profess Christ with, with one's mouth while continuing to live this double life, this life of lawlessness. And John is just simply saying to do so. It shows that we've never, we've never been born of God in the first place. So as we read these verses, it should, should sober us and I think form in us a continual a, a hatred for sin and and a healthy, a healthy fear that we, would, that we would likewise harden ourselves to sin and continue in it. And so my prayer as we read these verses is that, that some of us would hear these words today and would repent of sin. Not continue in it, but show ourselves to be God's children. Now John... Again, he doesn't write this letter so that, that the believers or uh, that, that we would be deceived or confused about who are really God's children and, and who aren't. He wants his people to have confidence. So again, he says, let no one deceive you, little children. And again, some were trying to do that. There were some who had left, left them and were preaching a false teaching, a teaching that either they had not sinned or that they could continue in sin and it just didn't ultimately matter so John again says whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous so these are those who who show evidence of their faith those who you know it's just uh, maybe another way of saying this is just remembering what Christ said in, in Luke chapter 5 and if you've been reading along in the Missio uh, reading plan, just a few days ago, we, we read these verses. In Luke 5, Jesus tells his disciples, each tree is known by its fruit. And that's just what John is saying here. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. But to make a practice of sinning, he says, is, is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So again, it's quite clear to, to continue in sin, to make a practice of sinning shows, shows that, that they are really of the devil. The one who has been sinning from the beginning. And what, what John means there is, just, is most likely he's, he's just referring to the time of, of 
Satan's rebellion against a holy God, that, he's been, that he has been sinning and leading others to sin. So to continue in sin means to, to proceed from him. That is to be of the devil, to proceed from him. This is the, he is the one in whom sin originates, the one who is, again, a working sin in this world. And so continual, unrepentant sin is, is simply a sign that, that someone belongs to the one from whom it originates. But again, the, the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason Christ appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. So he reminds us again of the reason Christ came the first time, to destroy those works, the sin that he's been working through people. So again, this is, this is why continual sinful, evil behavior is, is completely impatible with ab- abiding in Christ. So John is going to restate the truth very clearly. Once again, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now he, he explains, of course, that that God's children, they don't continue in sin. They, they practice righteousness. And the, the reason they do so the, is because the seed of God abides in them. And what he means there, he's, he's referring simply to the spirit of God. And he uses this, this word here, the seed, this idea that, that God's spirit is like a seed in his people. A seed that is, that is growing, producing righteousness. And so we, we get the picture that, that when we truly believed in Christ and we his spirit is in us that that his there's a growing righteousness in our life a seed that is blossoming into righteousness that one day will be complete whenever Christ comes again God has promised that his spirit would teach his people and lead his people you know if you look at what he says in the scriptures that his spirit would would take our our hard hearts and turn them soft and cause us to obey his good and holy commands. Again, of course, there may be times in this life when we stumble, whenever we, we find ourselves giving in to, to sin and temptation, but the mark of God's children, the mark of his spirit abiding in us is that, that we realize our sin and we turn from it. We can't continue in it. There comes a point, we don't always in this life, we can't always observe someone's life and know exactly when that point may come. But there comes a point whenever we have to turn from our sin, those who are truly God's children. Because the, the seed of righteousness that is in us won't allow it to continue. And so, coming to verse 10, the last verse we'll look at today, there's a, again a bit of a, a summation John says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I think we've, at this point, we've hammered that point home well enough. I don't know that, that I have to keep continuing to repeat it. We're, it is evident that those who are God's children are practicing righteousness, doing righteousness. We've said it a number of different ways, obeying the commands of Christ, walking in the good works that, that the Father prepared for his children beforehand. 
John, as he's already pointed out in this letter, points out that, that one of the marks of doing that, one of the primary marks of, of doing that, continuing in righteousness, is loving one's brother. One, one commentator touching on this idea explains that love, or sorry, that, um, or yeah, yeah, love is in relation to others is, is righteousness. Or, you know, righteousness is shown in how we love our brother. Think about, you know, kind of taking this idea and putting it into the language that we, that we use so often here at Missio. This, this looks like, this practicing of righteousness, loving our brother, it looks like growing in, in the outcomes that we talk, of a disciple that we talk about so often. Of course, it begins with loving God and walking with him. It also, it involves displaying the fruit of the spirit the fruit of the seed of God that is in his people that that we display that and that that is primarily seen in the way that we interact with others our neighbor our family those in this church the way that we love others forgive others show God's love and joy and peace and patience and all of those fruits of the spirit that the scriptures to uh, describe that those are shown through his people as we relate to others we talk often about sharing our grace story and, and sharing the gospel, just sharing how with others how God is at work in our life, what he has done, how we've come to know him and how he continues to lead us and teach us and guide us and provide for us, that we, we share this gospel with every man, woman, and child. We talk about serving our, our town, our neighborhoods, our city, serving this church with the, the gifts that God has given us through, through his spirit, with the resources that he has given us, the stewarding of all of our lives for this proclamation of the gospel to the glory of God. What I'm trying to do here is just, you know, take some of what, what John is talking about here and just putting it into the language that, that we often use. I think to, to say this quite clearly, to practice righteousness is to obey all the commands of Christ. So, in conclusion, so as you know, we, we kind of come to the end of this, this passage, we're able to now take a step back and just look at, look at this, in, this entire argument that he's made, that John has made. If, if Christ came the first time that he might take away sin and destroy the work of the devil, he's you know, basically asking the question, how then can God's children continue in sin now? And if when he appears a second time, we, we will be like him and we will see him, how now can we go on in sin? So one, time, one commentator explains this passage this way. He says, if, if we would be loyal to his first coming and ready for his second, we must purify ourselves. As he is pure, and by so doing, we shall give evidence of our birth of God. So, coming to the end here, the question really is, what, what family do we belong to? My prayer is that, that all of us would belong to the Father, and being his children, that we, we would increasingly hunger and thirst for righteousness, and so be satisfied, as Christ said we would be. Amen? Let us pray.
Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that we have seen today that those who believe in you are your children. You've put your seed in us, your spirit in us to produce righteousness. Lord, help us continue to grow and to be a people who hate sin, have no tolerance for it in our lives, and turn from sin and instead practice righteousness to your glory. Again, Lord, only you can do these things. And so we depend on you and prayerfully come to you and ask that you do it. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Let's